Stella. Sunny Stella. Running amidst the trees. Who's there? I said as I stood in my head. And nobody answered me. This is Bruce. This is John. And this is Blix. Welcome again to the Fringeworthy Broadcast. We had too many questions to answer last week, so we're going to answer some more again this week. The final question, which is a very lengthy one, and we're going to go to that right now. From Joe and Tristan, assuming the player character team is IDET, what roles would IDET assign to team members? What jobs would need to be filled regardless of the skill level of the personnel? brings up his, his campaign where he had things such as primary reconnaissance, team leader, assistant team leader, driver mechanic, science operative, security operative, communications operative, historian, then pointed out that most people who had those jobs didn't have the skill base to cover them. In my initial games, I never actually assigned out roles other than team leader. Let them arrange themselves as they saw fit. So I always had fairly fluid compositions from my teams. If you look at team number one, if anyone would be team leader, it would be Gordon Conrad, because he's the most disrespectful SOB you ever met. He would chafe under anyone else's command. But uh, Bruce, and your teams, do you actually have breakdowns to where you're actually assigning things like head ball washer number five? Well, we have a number of people who are in the teams. First of all, you have to say how many members are there of your team. Yeah. If your team is only six people, you've got 12 positions, then some people are wearing more than one hat. In the new edition, we recommended that there be a IDET liaison that was an NPC for your team. And that person's job is to handle all of the paperwork and the requisitions of equipment and things like that. So all that kind of busy work, what would normally be called the quartermaster, that wouldn't have to be done. Uh, that would be done by an NPC, and it's really good to develop that NPC into a real person for the team because that person will be spending a lot of time with the team, and it'd be best to make that person a lot more flavorful. Michigan Control Specialist in, in NASA, the guy who talks to the astronauts. Absolutely. Of course, once they go through the portal, that person doesn't have any contact except by some kind of a mail drop system or something that we talked about earlier when we were talking about the fringe mail system. Would the liaison necessarily be fringe-worthy? Most likely, they would not be fringe-worthy. This would be a, somebody who was already working at uh, the UN, who was familiar with handling this kind of things. It, would, it could be a middle manager of some kind of project manager. It could be somebody who's a uh, specialist in public relations. These are the kind of skills that are going to be necessary for 
putting things together. Somebody who definitely knows how to use a project planner. When you say, hey, I'm going to go and explore this world and we know that it's ancient China, well, the first thing that has to do is that person's going to have to make sure that everybody on the team knows something about Chinese history. Oh, you don't? Well, okay, let's go and start scheduling some courses. Let's check the team roster. Let's check the team schedule. What are these people doing? Are they going home for a while? When's their availability for these these courses that they need to take? Do we have to have some costumes made? All right, we need to send some requests off to mass class costumers in the world who make the kind of costumes that we need. So that's what that person can do for you. So your team doesn't have to do that. And that's one thing we can kind of put aside, but it is still part of your team. So a quartermaster, someone who handles that kind of thing, that's, that's important, but it doesn't have to be an actual PC. Another good example would be people who are fringe-worthy, they're not travel-worthy. Let's say a guy is paralyzed or let's say Stephen Hawking was fringeworthy. Well, you don't want to take him on a mission with you or, or, or the guy is 85 years old and is just not going to survive traveling on these dangerous missions, but he's fringeworthy. He would make a good liaison type person. He could also be in the transportation corps. He could mm -hmm. be the person who basically transports your vehicles out to the uh, location where you're going to do your exploration in a fringe-worthy, capable truck. And that's actually really part of the liaison job, too. Make sure everything that you requisition actually gets on the truck to go to your world where you're going to do the exploration. Someone who's handicapped usually would still be able to participate. It just depends on the level of participation that they either are willing to do or IDET's willing to let them do. But 85-year-old could also be an ambassador to one of the other worlds. In regarding your question of what teams would be like, you have to think about what time period you're talking about because that's going to be exceptionally important to what your team looks like. In the early days, you're absolutely right. You're going to have people who are not very good at certain roles that are needed, but being that they're better than everyone else at it or being that they are willing to accept that role and take on whatever training they can get before they have to go out, that's what you're going to be dealing with. The only medic you have on the team might be somebody who spent their summer as a lifeguard and, and knows CPR and first aid. And, you know, they get a little bit more boning up uh, for the mission. And then that's it. That's your medic. But it's better than anyone else. So at least you have one. But then as time goes on and you're getting more people who are fringe worthy and you're getting people who are more experienced, who were already fringe worthy and are getting better training, your teams are going to look better and they're going to be better equipped and you're going to have more variety and you're going to have more of what you want a team to be made of. So you have to look at the time period and what you're dealing in. You know, in the early days, you get what you get and you hope to get all your bases covered. But later on, I would suggest that every team, you always have a leader no matter what, because somebody has to be ultimately in charge. You need a second in command in case anything happens to him. And then he also has to have a second job. You're going to need a medic at whatever level you can get, you absolutely have, have to have a medic. You're going to need someone who can fight. Even if it's a diplomatic mission, you want to send at least one person who can kick ass at least somewhat because if things go down, you need to have somebody who's ready to oh, yeah. step up to that level immediately as the situation dictates itself to get the team out of there. Other than that, you know, it depends on the mission you go on. You know, you might need a communications expert. You might need a historian, but you may not. That's how our makeup when actually that's exactly how our makeup went when we played the game in my game i like to look at a popular television show the a team as a way of getting a good team together take a look at the a team you're right blix you've got a leader that was hannibal 
he was also the guy who was good at impersonations. He was the guy who was good at blending in and not being seen. He was the one who was always in costumes and things like that. Space. Then there was space, and he was the guy who was really good at making all those bluff checks and all those diplomacy roles. He was able to talk everybody into opening doors for them. He was the person that drew the lightning if it was necessary because he was the person out front where everyone to see him. You're going to need somebody with those kind of skills. It can't be the same person who's going to be stealthy all the time, but you can switch off. Then you had the BA character who was both the heavy combat person and also the driver, the one who could make any vehicle spin on a top and you know, jump through the air, or what, no matter whether it had the capability of doing that or not. You had somebody who was very good at evasion and, and laying down the badness when it needed to be laid down. I'm waiting on the last character, Murdoch. Well, Murdoch was the technical character. You're going to need somebody who's good at taking information, which comes in two forms. Either information is gathered and analyzed to be able to figure out things that you need to know, ways of getting past security systems, putting the two and two together to come up with a great idea. In the D20 modern system, they have some of the advanced classes who have the ability to say, I'm going to take all this information, and all of a sudden I get this great idea. I get this insight. That was kind of the Murdoch character. He also had the ability to hack into computer systems, and not only just hack computer systems, but actually to be able to interrogate computer systems to find the information that you want. Because you can have a huge database, but if you don't know how to run searches on it, you're not going to get what you need. To me, these are all the kind of skills that you need. And yes, you do need someone who's a medic, but hopefully, if you're doing your job right, you're not going to need a medic very often. You just need someone who's going to be able to get somebody stabilized enough to hopefully get them someplace where they can get help, preferably right. back at IDED and Hatsumi Base. Well, that, that's why I said a medic. You don't need a doctor. Right. But you do, you really, I think you need a medic. <laughs> Take that healing skill. Yeah, well, I mean, that qualifies. To me, a doctor is actually a better character as far as a resource for creating good relations with the natives. A doctor is going to be able to come in and take a look around and say, you know, if you did these five things, your people would be five to ten times healthier. You'd have half of the loss of childbirth. He can look around and do that sort of thing because he's trained in public health. So someone who's able to stitch you together and keep you going is also somebody who can get people on your side by making them want to protect you and therefore keep you out of the line of fire. You know, protect you and hide you when people come to try to hurt you because you're offering them a tremendous benefit to their small group or their society and they know it. And that's the dedicated character class if you're trying to figure out which one it is. It's... That's when they actually sort of become doctors and medics and so forth. Or a combat medic. That's also one of the advanced classes, too. Yeah, that's true. So, Bruce, you got a four-man team. Build your A-team. Those were those roles. Any of them could take one or two of them. When it came down to a combat fight, of course, they all had the awesome combat skills. Well, I'm saying, like, build your optimal A-team. The, the director of IDET comes to you, and he yeah. says, I'm going to give you pick of the choice of the base, build a team, it's going to be a somewhat dangerous mission to gather information. I would want a computer programmer, a combat medic, undercover operator, somebody had great negotiating and uh, fast talk type skills. I would want somebody who was really good at pulling it all together and coordinating the efforts of the team. 
What about you, John? Do you, you agree with Bruce, or, or would you make any changes? Back in my mind, I keep thinking that, okay, so this is who I want. What I got is a Kung Bushman. I have a uh, guy who used to be a pimp. I have a guy who basically had one too many incidents with, with you know, smoking ganja in Bahamas. Basically, I have, I have my wish is who I want. What I get is something else entirely. Well, I'm, I'm saying like later on, like like I yeah. think the spirit of the question is, is how would you put a team together okay, if you right. had the choice? But it's also a question of how would you want your team to grow into those roles? You have to know what the roles are before you can grow into them. Right. So, yeah, initially these people are going to be pretty poor. They're going to have, as you said, like vestigial skills in any of these things. You're still going to need people who cover in some way these bases or they're going to have to be very, very careful and only go on certain missions that they're actually qualified for. But over time, as they develop and they gain abilities or improve their abilities, they're going to be able to grow into these roles. So those are the roles I think they should have. Look at Team 1. We actually have bits of the A-Team there, if you look at them. Sayuri is definitely the tech person. She's a scientist, so she actually would fill the, the Murdoch role. Um, we lie, she's an empath. She actually would fill the uh, face role on the team. Gordon, B.A., or with Hannibal. Hannibal. Either be Hannibal or B.A. They really need a fourth team member. Another later story, did give him a fourth a team member, a guy from Russia who used to work the black market. So he's in, he's good with acquisitions, stuff like that, and, and sneaking around. Yeah. We can sort of build with that our, our sort of an ersatz A team. I really think that the optimum team size, because it's also the optimum player size, in my opinion, is six. If I was to do this kind of analysis and building of teams, I would assume that there were six people in the active team that was going through the portal. Which two would you add? Those roles could be spread across. Oh, oh I got you. Right. You'd, you'd want a team of six with those roles. And there's nothing wrong with having redundancy. No, nothing at all. No, absolutely not. I think my team would have to consist of, you'd have to have your leader. I'd want him to be ex-military. I want a leader who understands how to deal with stress because, you know, on the fringe paths, anything can turn into the ultimate stress at any moment. So, so I want a guy who's exceptionally adaptable, and the military seems to breed those kind of people, especially their leaders. Of course, he would be somewhat of a weapons expert because the military are exposed to a lot of different weapons. So you got a guy who can use assault rifles and grenades and handguns, and he knows a little bit of hand-to-hand -hand combat. So I've already got a combatant and a leader. And then I definitely want a medic, and if I have my choice, it's going to be a really good medic. Again, for my medic... I kind of like military, but I would be f absolutely fine with an ambulance medic, a guy who deals with trauma every day. EMT. An EMT, yes, absolutely. An EMT would be perfectly fine. Or maybe a flunked out resident from a hospital, a guy who was not quite a doctor, but almost there. That would be fine. A guy who couldn't, he didn't want to be a doctor. He couldn't handle being a full-blown doctor, but just some really serious training. So a failed and, resident who's spent time actually in the emergency room dealing with emergency room cases. Right, right. I want a guy who's a tech expert who maybe isn't even, you know, never went to college or anything. One of these guys, like a, like a grease monkey mechanic type of guy, a guy who can fix anything, especially if he hasn't obtained like a really great position in life. You know, he's like your beer drinking grease monkey type of guy. He's going to be hard. He's going to be able to roll with the punches. He's generally going to be kind of a little bit of a tough guy. So, I'm, you know, I'm getting kind of a tough guy mixed in with a mechanic. Plus, he's going to be kind of a wise ass challenges they're not going to stop him they're going to make him work harder because he's always having to prove himself 
I want a guy who can drive and fly just about anything. Or you can break that up into two guys, or you can have several different guys, like maybe even your, your leader is a pilot or, or, or drove tanks or something. Driving, flying, boating, that kind of stuff has to all be covered. And I think that can be spread out throughout the team. And I want a hand-to-hand expert because there's going to come a time where the group does not have weapons. And I need a guy who can really kick ass without any weapons because he can get weapons. He may not have a knife, but he can get a knife. And with a knife, he can get a gun. And then he can equip the team. My last essential member, and this is going to sound weird, but I want a sleazy convict type of con man. I want a guy who's good at pulling the wool over people's eyes. He knows how to break into things because these guys know how to spot weaknesses in people and environments. He could be ex-special ops or or covert or ex-CIA. That's fine because they're kind of shady anyway. I know the character you're talking about. There's a series on CBS called The Mentalist. And the character there by the name of Jane, he's a fake psychic. And he was able to do cold reads and stuff like that. So yeah, he knows all the dodges. Plus, I need somebody with low moral value, somebody who is willing to do what nobody else is willing to do for that one time or when you need someone to pull the trigger or push the button when normal people won't do it. The guy you described as your leader, he actually probably could do that. If he's been in a situation in combat, it's you or my team, my team comes first, bang. Or it's Earth or our team. A guy who's willing to push the button on his own team to save the Earth. You need a guy who can do the unthinkable when the time comes that the unthinkable needs to be done. That would be my team. Wow. This is a team that I don't think could possibly exist until quite a bit further down the yeah. timeline. Oh, absolutely. No, yeah. and that's what I was going for. I, yeah. Like I said, in the beginning, I get what I get. Right. Because now, I'm talking about the optimal team. And the reason I say further down the timeline is because as fringeworthy people are found as children, they're going to be taken to special schools and they're going to be groomed for some of these roles. Their psychological strengths and weaknesses have already been evaluated. They've been pushed in the directions that would really allow them to exploit them and minimize the, the less part. When it comes time to pull these people together, you're Peter Graves pulling out the IM task force and picking pictures and deciding what his team's going to be when he goes on a mission. Yeah. And these, these are kids who have grown up not just on Earth. When we say the best education, they've gotten the best education on and off Earth. They can rebuild an engine or rebuild a uh, Babbage uh, computer. Think about it. He gets his sword training on Victorian Earth because they're still using sabers. Uh, weapons on the uh, Golden Horde well, Okay, right. <laughs> there, there you go. Your characters learn how to ride horses on the Golden Horde Earth. And you learn how to survive a 25-course meal on Pax Romana. Oh, yeah. <laughs> These people would be ferried around to the different alien worlds that they already have so that they would be able to shed their culture shock, you know, their xenophobia, so that when they encounter some strange alien, they're not in shock because they've gone and eaten meals with the Blizzniz and the Kegak and the spider people. Just imagine the first time you go over and one of their big uh, honeypot-type spider creatures comes over and, and injects your meal into your mouth. Well, they bring over a carcass, and the rest of them inject their digestive fluids into it and start sucking away, and you, you have a team. It may not all be human. You may have a Tazeel on your team. You may have a Blizzness, for all we know, on your team. So it may not be all human. You could appreciate the subtleties of uh, these various acts that most people would go, it's terrible what they're doing. Oh, I can't even look at that. 
not only can you look at it, but you can admire the social graces that are involved in something that's very common in their culture. Further on down the timeline, the cafeteria at Hasumi Base, they usually have to be given warning ahead of time when, when a non-fringeworthy is going to eat there. I think they're probably going to have multiple cafeterias, John. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's always the one that all the fringe where they go to because that's where you can get the live termites. And Yeah, I was, I was also thinking that the two <laughs> of the people that I left out of my team were the diplomat and the survivalist. Your face is going to be the diplomat. Your survivalist will be a character or one of the other types. That's like, true. No, no, I mean, they can be covered over. I'm just saying I want to make sure that they're on the team as well. Mentioning the traveling to different worlds, that's where you cultivate your super diplomat because he has the ability to practice on alien beings. Yeah. He's got, I don't know, what's he got, six, seven, eight of them to choose from? Three years down the road, we may actually have the diplomatic corps. These are people who've been trained to be diplomats. When, when we talk about further down the timeline, we're not really telling you how far down the timeline it actually would be. Yeah. Just to keep this in perspective. Aging on the fringe paths is not the same as aging on a world. It's one to 200. So you could have somebody who looks in their 20s and they could be 100 years old. And especially if you went to a world where they had a different rate of time passing, then you could really get some people with some really advanced skills and not have to deal with the events that have happened hundreds of years down the timeline. You can still play a young character who's very high in skill in a game system that says, well, it takes X amount of time for people to develop these skills. And you say, well, that's fine, because that 85-year-old Fringeworthy you're talking about could only be 25 in actual appearance. Initially, in the first couple of years, there probably won't be that much structure. You'll have a team put together, and try as they want to, they're all going to be square pegs trying to fit into round holes. Well, that is the charm and also the difficulty of playing the early games. You are somebody who's literally a fish out of water in, in the role in which he's trying to play. And that's why you play those kinds of early missions, because you want to play that kind of character. You want to get the dewy-eyed innocence of a character who's never known anything about the French path and it's all brand new. If you want to play really competent people, then you're going to need to go further on down where a lot more is known about the fringe paths. Your characters can be started at higher levels, or you could just simply say, I've had all kinds of extra training because we've known about the fringe paths for quite some time, and, and I've been able to get the specialized training I need before I start off. And so, again, you're more competent as time moves on. Your equipment is better. Your knowledge of the fringe path is better. You have more context on worlds. You have more resources. If you get into trouble on the fringe path, you say, well, three portals back, we've got a pocket stop there that's filled with just what we need. Well, that's not going to be there in the first couple of years of exploration. So, yeah, it's a, a totally different campaign when you move even five, ten years down the the timeline. Starting characters in the initial game are going to be basically first level characters. You get toward where Bruce is talking, you're, you're starting at fifth, sixth level with your starting characters at that point. They have all this experience behind them to, uh, to start with. I'm not saying they're actually first level characters, John. You can play that way if you want to, but in the uh, characters that we provided for demos and such, they're all sixth level. They, they were third level. And then they've discovered the fringe pass, and then they got three more levels after that. Yeah. So they can actually be fairly advanced characters if you want to play more competent characters. There's still going to be square pegs and round holes because no matter what 
career path they prepared for before the discovery of the French Pass, they're not equipped to be on the French Pass exploring because nobody knew that was going to happen. You can get creative covering these roles. You can sort of still play a group of eclectic people who are pulled out of just anywhere in society and, and still put together a good team. You could have your failed resident would be your medic, or, you could, or he could be an ambulance driver. You know, maybe he was a sports uh, medic that, that would cover that role, and, and that would be sort of an eclectic type of character. I mean, you can even make him in his 50s with a pot belly and bad knee, but he still could cover that role. And guy who drives anything is an old bootlegger. Right. There you go. He's, he's an old bootlegger or taxi cab driver. Yep. You know, he's, he's used to weaving in and out of traffic or or even better yet he, he used to work on a circuit driving monster trucks or something like that or, or even a crash up derby contest and stuff i think a taxi driver from mumbai would probably be the best driver hey, you're there you find. Go. That, that's perfect see that's excellent um you know your survivalist could be some rich guy who decided that he wanted to compete in one of these, you know, around the world in 80 days type of contests where they just have more money than they know what to do with. So he trained himself to become one of these guys who can trek through glacial regions and, and run through the desert and stuff. And he just so happens to be fringeworthy. So he's your survival expert. And he can even try out to be your leader as well because he got rich because he's, you know, he's got good leadership skills. You could cover your diplomatic person as, you know, it could be a, an escort. Somebody who works professionally to escort people and make them feel good about themselves. That's a diplomat. Or even your face man. Your diplomat could be a criminal, could be a, a con, con man. man. So, you know, these roles can be covered in a lot of ways. You just have to be creative. And you can even make it seem really eclectic but still fulfill all those roles. And there's one other way you can do this, Blix. And that is you don't have to fill all the roles until you get to the world that you're going to have your mission on. Right. If you go to a world that's covered with sand and it's, it's a burning hot desert and you have nobody in your team that actually knows really anything about desert survival really knows, I am sure that there is somebody on that world, probably pretty close to the portal, who's an expert on that because he or she has lived there their entire life. And you could hire that person to be your subject matter expert on this and give you good advice. Make yeah. sure that your equipment is not missing something that on your world, you might say, well, yeah, you need a, a quart and a half of water a day. And he says, oh, no, you're going to need at least three quarts of water a day. And it's going to have to be mixed with the saliva of this uh, mojo beast, because that's the only way to keep the burning sand fleas from eating you alive the entire time. And then that becomes part of the game master's job, because if he's going to send you to a world where your party's going to die because they don't have the right people. He needs to hand wave and make that guy appear, make that guy available and amenable to what you need to have done. Or otherwise, it's going to be a pretty stale game. And the players, their job is to not just blow off every NPC they see. Instead, look for opportunities to mm -hmm. you know, maybe include somebody in the group. Because I've had lots of teams. They, we are an island. We meet people. They see our face, and they think we're one of them, but we are not. And we never reveal anything about who we are or where we're going. And we never involve ourselves with the locals and bring them into our group or show any kind of confidence in them. We are two separate things. And those teams don't do very well because they run into unexpected stuff. They're always lacking in essential information, which is obvious to the natives. The natives, you know, 
saw it coming a mile away. And even after a couple of times, I had the natives saying, why didn't you do this? And they said, well, we didn't know we were supposed to do it. Well, why didn't you know that? And he says, well, we're not from around here. He, he says, said, we're from America. And he's like, what do you mean you're not from around here? What You'd have to be from another world not to know that. And they're like looking at each other going, um, get get back to tending your Momo beast. <laughs> All right. The GM has to provide these people in a, and hopefully not a, you know, here, let me slam the NPC down in front of you and, and, you know, with a big, huge, you know, exclamation point over his head, you know, you must talk to this person. He has to provide the NPC in a organically reasonable fashion, but at the same time, the players have to work with the GM to allow that character, that NPC, to give them the information they need and perhaps even join their group for a while. There's actually a great example. If you're a fan of travel shows and so forth, especially ones like Anthony Bourdain's uh, No Reservations, they always hire what's called a fixer wherever they go to someplace. The fixer's job is to make sure that they can actually do what they want to do. He's al- almost always a local who knows the ins and outs of government and so forth and knows how to help them cut the red tape and get around. You want to give your characters a fixer in the form of an NPC that they, they can interact with. Or if you're really creative, you can actually, if, if say you got a person who wants to play the game but doesn't want to play a fringe way, he can play the fixer. He doesn't have to actually have play a recurring character. He can actually play an NPC if you want, if you want that kind of interaction. Be creative. We'd like to thank our, our uh, listeners for submitting these questions. I guess that's, uh, that's it for us right now. I just want to remind the GMs and the players that... The whole point of this is to for you to have fun. So think about your composition of your teams. Try to take the skills that you have and use them in new and unusual ways. Try to pick equipment that will complement your skills and maybe give you bonuses to do things that you otherwise would not have skills in. Because uh, as I said in an earlier episode, equipment are feats that you didn't have to pay for that you just, just had to pick it up at the local commissary or quartermaster. GMs, if, if you could create a situation where you need really important bluff skills and all the people in the group only have diplomacy, then let them use diplomacy to achieve the end or allow them to have an NPC that can do that job or decide right up front that this is part of the plot and they're going to make that success no matter what because it's no fun for them to roll failure after failure. So keep the fun in mind. Keep it awesome. Let them do things that they didn't think that they could do, and they will love the game. And that's what this podcast is all about, loving the game. Yeah, and I'd like to say you know, we, we really do appreciate these questions, and we try to answer all the ones. If they're easy to answer, we answer them on the forums where they're asked. We really do enjoy answering questions to people because that's ultimately what we're here for is to provide you, the listener, with the information you need to play the game to the best of its ability so that you can have the most fun. It's easier for us to do that if we know where your questions are specifically. So keep those questions coming in. We really like it, and we will try to answer all the ones that we can. Keep your aliens alien when when necessary. Nanu, nanu. This has been the Fringeworthy Podcast. So until next time. This is Bruce Shepard from Atlanta saying, remember, there are millions of worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John from Seattle, and remember, keep your powder dry and keep those cards and layers coming in. And this is Blix. Remember, don't shoot the portals. They shoot back. (laughs) 